0: Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Silver 7's on a Thursday. Happy hour's going down right now. 2.77 on lots of the drinks at uh, two different bars. We're hanging out at the Bud Light Lounge. You can go down to the Silver and Gold right in front of The William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Silver Sevens is at Flamingo. And Paradise Adam Candy is here. Ari's in our Finley Toyota Studios. Let's do it.
0: Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents The
1: Big Five at Five. Number five. Candy, I know the story that you wanted to follow. You have to follow. Let's keep giving it life. Kodak Black, the recipient of Meggett's working the other day at a Panthers game. It actually looked like he was uh, potentially doinking in front of a live audience. Not allowed to do that anymore. It's not uh, you know Times Square 1979. Um, apparently, the South Florida police are looking into this, making sure that it was not a... Uh well, I'll watch my language. They weren't really doing the deed.
2: Yeah, doinking, I think, was probably a better way to go with that. Um, yeah, Kodak Black... Apparently is in the clear Uh, He was asked to stop And you know what he did? (laughs) He stopped He complied And isn't that what everyone Who wants to talk about Law enforcement And the fact that people don't respect them say Is if you would just comply Everything would be fine These are the cases they're referencing to. Absolutely Not not quite Uh, Well it, it
1: involves shooting your shot It's just a little different if we don't have twerking every day of NHL All-Star Weekend here in Vegas, is it really an All-Star Weekend? What's the point?
2: I don't know what the point is. And, and I think if, if Bill Foley really wants to give the full Vegas experience to the NHL, then you should open up the luxury suites, take it away from whatever sponsor, whatever boring corporate suits you were going to give it to, and open it up to, I'm just going to pick a name out of a hat. I'm sure there are professionals that say Crazy Horse 3, a proud sponsor of Lotus Broadcasting, who That's might be able to... So random. I, I just, first thing that came to mind, that Appreciate might want to show off their skills, right? There is a skills competition at All-Star Weekend, right? There is. That could be a, that could be part of the skills competition, uh, sure. Coach think? Yes. Heart, heart I mean... Hardest shot. Fastest shot. Hardest shot. All fits.
1: Bring in Gritty and let's really do this twerking thing.
2: I think Gritty should be sort of the uh, the ringer that they bring in to see, you know, <laughs> that they, they bring in the Vegas <laughs> professionals at twerking. And then it's like, wait, who's this? We have a late entrance to the competition and then see what Gritty, uh, what Gritty can do. But if it's not Kodak Black receiving all of these and doing the judgment, then why did we even come here in the first place? Because obviously the man is a connoisseur of both hockey and freaky deaky.
1: Number four. You got a nod of approval on that. Very nice. Very nice. I'm not sure anyone that's going to nod an approval at what the Texans just did. David Cully came in as a total unknown, 65 years old, is instructed to coach the Texans, and clearly what is a tankier, goes 4 and 13 Maybe they were too good. Maybe that's why he's he's been fired. Um, reaction on this is all over the place. Of course, there is the reaction that doesn't include actually saying anything to David Cully's face or acting like he's a human being. Stuff like uh, one of the local radio guys said David Culley's going to get paid $8 million uh, or got paid $8 million to be objectively bad at his job for one year. Please tell me how and why I'm supposed to feel badly for him. I don't know. He's a fellow human being, and you would never say that to his face. Um, A.J. Ross... Had the other side of it. David Cully has over 40 years of coaching experience, 28 years in the NFL, and had to wait until he was 65 to finally get a shot as an NFL head coach. And all for it to end in basically a one and done. Uh, Charles Robinson from Yahoo NFL Guy said, I hope that you someday work 42 years in a profession with the hopes of reaching your dream opportunity. And I hope you get fired from that job after one year. This was that, you know, someone who was uh, saying, What's the big deal? Uh, Robinson said, hope you get fired from that job in one year for reasons that had nothing to do with your actual performance in the job. I can't wait to tell you that day to relax because a lot of people are saying, relax! What's the big deal? I don't know. Maybe the guy liked the job. And he has some professional pride. kind of sucks if you do reach your, the pinnacle of your profession and then they pull the rug out from under you. Or maybe it's even bigger than that. Uh, Charles McDonald, friend of the
2: Press Box show in the mornings, who writes for usa today pointed out that of the last five one year and done one and done head coaches in the nfl three of them are african-american two of the three african-american head coaches in the nfl were let go this year mike tomlin is the only one who is left although brian flores appears to be a leading contender to get another job all that said look what david cully had to go through to get this job charles robinson is spot on There's no amount of money that's going to make it okay. And by the way, let's go back to just judging on job performance. The Houston Texans were expected to be the worst team in the NFL this year. There were places that had them on the board at one and a half or two wins. They won four games. They beat a Chargers team with Justin Herbert that everyone thought was going to go down there and destroy them, myself included. They were 15 and a half point dogs at home to Justin Herbert and the chargers yes the chargers were beaten up with COVID. you know who else was the houston Texans had 20 players out in a single week and they were playing against ostensibly a playoff team and one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl and david cully got them to win that game you cannot give me an on-field reason to hire david cully much like you cannot give me an on-field reason why brian flores lost his job in miami
1: Number three. Going to be real interesting to uh, track, and I don't think we're going to get the true information to track the health of the Bengals going into this game against the Raiders on Saturday. Looks like T. Higgins has some injury issues, one of the outstanding receivers for since he. The other one, and again, I don't think we'll get any indication. I'm not sure that Joe Burrow is 100% for this. Certainly did not look good at the end of that Chiefs game. What do you think?
2: I think Joe Burrow is the kind of guy who's going to grit and gut his way through this thing, and unless the Raiders really put significant pressure on him, knock him down and out, I don't think it's really going to make that big a difference. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to be able to play through quite a bit. I, my question for you, Cofield, is this. We see T. Higgins on that injury report, and I look at the Raiders and the games where they've struggled defensively, and they appear to be against teams that have a number of weapons, like putting up... A 41 did the Chiefs against the Raiders, 32 for the Bengals, 33 for the Cowboys, 48 for the Chiefs the second time through. The Raiders have Casey Hayward playing very, very well, and Nate Hobbs has been a solid number two for them this year. But the Cincinnati Bengals at full strength with Jamar Chase, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd, with CJ Osama, with Joe Mixon. It's a whole different ball game for Gus Bradley's defense to try to cover all of those guys. So the numbers game really, truly matters for what Cincinnati can do against the
1: Raiders. For the team that plays their games indoors, Las Vegas, bring on the snow, some ice, and some wind. Sounds weird, right? But isn't it kind of the Raiders game?
2: See, we love to talk about how the Raiders... Run the ball, right? And how John Gruden loved to pound the rock with Josh Jacobs. Funny thing about it is, on the other side, no one loves to run the ball as much as the Cincinnati Bengals do. They love first down handoffs to Joe Mixon. I think they can play this both ways if they need to. But Cofield, uh do we do we have to walk down Narrative Street? We have to take a little stroll right down Narrative Street. Derek Carr, cold weather—he can't play in cold weather, right? Derek Carr can't play in cold weather. I th- what is it? 0-4 oh under 20 degrees. Uh-oh. I guess we might as well give up on the Raiders right now.
1: Another number I saw was 0-5 under 38 degrees to start. Uh, four of the five losses have been within a touchdown, so they've been competitive. So I just – I think the, the the snow, the the the, the, uh, the ice, the wind thing is just about slowing the game down. And you're right, Cincinnati in a grind-out game is still dangerous. Uh, I think the one positive for the Raiders would be, if it was nasty enough, any way to – try to shut down or debilitate burrow to chase is a good thing it has to
2: start up front i don't think it's going to be about can you cover jamar chase because i think we've seen pretty clearly you can't cover jamar chase when he's at full strength that being said max crosby against a weak right tackle but was an absolute destructive force against the chargers if he gives the raiders half of that that is their best chance of slowing down joe burrow
1: Number two. You know, never thought of this. Admittedly, uh, I've never been an addict. I've never been an alcoholic, and it's, this is not saying that to mock on it, but, you know, you hear all the time, Candy, about the day-to-day struggles for people, and you also hear, like, hey, it, it never ends, right? Um, You know, I've been sober for four years. Every day is still a battle, and I hadn't really thought about Darren Waller being down and out injured for four or five weeks before he came back last week. He said it was a real struggle away from the structure of football. It was not easy. And, you know, just trying to stay sober, stay busy, and also not get inside your own head were all challenges. And I think that's the biggest part, right?
2: Darren Waller goes through 18 weeks of a football season, a few weeks of training camp, but he has half the year where he has to manage himself. And he's able to do that very successfully. He's the Raiders man of the year nominee, and he obviously has been a rock for Max Crosby, who has dealt with his own sobriety issues and is proud of the years that he now has in sober. But Darren Waller was very open talking about this in the last few days, saying that as he watched the Raiders succeed in the weeks that he was out, that it was hard for him to manage his own head. The kind of thoughts that he has been able to successfully manage over the past years that he has been successful, when he said, I looked out there and watched them be successful. And the word he used was useless. That the thoughts come into his head that he's useless. His teammates can go out there and win without him. And he's being very straightforward to say, I know these are not rational thoughts. But you know what? Anyone who's ever dealt with any level of mental illness or condition needs to be treated for mental health knows you know the thoughts are irrational when you're having them. I've been very open on the show about my Battles with depression and you know that the thoughts you're having are not rational thoughts and yet you can't always turn them off. And for a guy like Darren Waller, where that's all fed into his sobriety problems as well, I mean, being able to talk about these things openly and not internalize them and not let them turn into needing to deal with them through the substances that have caused them problem in the past it's all part of the journey for a guy like Darren Waller. I think it's hugely encouraging for Darren Waller and his future with the Raiders. And just from an on-field perspective, Derek Carr was very open this week saying, Darren Waller and I weren't clicking last week against the Chargers. We had some communication issues. We were on different pages. Huge for Darren Waller to have gotten back on the field in that Chargers game for what it could mean to them this week in Cincinnati.
1: Number one. All right, Candy, you're not with us tomorrow. So we'll get a pick from you before we are out of here. Looking at, uh, and there's so many of these lists out there, looking at some analysis for the Raiders-Bengals game, some picks. Uh, this one was on uh, the Bengals Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Let's see. CBS dude uh, brings up the weather. Says that Derek Carr just isn't very good in bad weather. He's picking a 30-23 to 23 win for the Bengals. By the way, there are four and a halfs out there now. Bengals favorite fives Um, I think if I have it correct 71 percent of the tickets and 62 percent of the money it's on the Bengals but the numbers gone down okay Um, other folks looking at him and giving their picks well Jeff Schwartz former lineman in the NFL now with Fox Sports and Fox Sports Radio uh he says bengals don't get out to a quick start well you know this is a different las vegas team than the one they smashed two months ago do you believe that
2: it is a different team than the one they smashed two months ago but let me make a couple of revisions to that they didn't really smash them let's get that narrative right out of here 32 13 was the final that included a couple of late scores that ran that thing up the bengals did not jump all over the raiders in that game secondly when it comes to, is it a different Las Vegas team? Yeah, and I don't think skill-wise they're playing as well, but they are resilient. And you know I'm the numbers guy, but they are resilient, they are playing close games that should not be close. This is a team that overperforming right now. And that's a compliment.
1: Uh, One more selection was from a guy from the Pro Football Network who said, Bengals will win 31 to 20. Said the Raiders are fool's gold from a weak AFC. This game should be relatively one-sided. Raiders aren't truly a playoff team, as the AFC lacks elite depth. Okay. Uh, they're, they're one of two teams, including the Steelers, with a negative scoring margin on the year. I'm not so caught up in the scoring margin thing since, what was it, minus was it minus 65 for the year? Correct. And minus 66 of it was the two Chiefs meetings?
2: They still count, and that's part of the problem when we talk about the Raiders against high-powered offenses. And
1: the Bengals did have success against the Chiefs.
2: Right. So, all right. You mentioned the weather. I actually don't think the weather is an enormous factor in this game. What I think could be a huge factor is rest and emotion. Uh, The Bengals essentially didn't play any of their starters last week. They had an opportunity to sit Joe Burrow. You said the last time we saw Joe Burrow, he was limping around. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. So they've had a chance to sit Joe Burrow down. Jamar Chase only played long enough to get the rookie receiving record. And the Raiders are coming off what amounts to a short week here, having played on Sunday night and having played an extra 10 minutes. And let's be honest, it was super cool to see the atmosphere at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday night, but it also was a playoff atmosphere for the Raiders on Sunday night. And they're treating it like having won a playoff game, which for all intents and purposes, it was. They had to win it to get in. It's going to be hard to muster that level of emotion this week against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to take the Bengals. I don't think it's a blowout. I'm going to say Bengals 24, Raiders 17.
0: It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000.
1: I missed the end of it. I dozed off. I knew I had a work day waiting on me, or I assumed that I had a work day. I think at one point Oakland was up by 15, and that number made you somewhat comfortable. I'm probably better off not
0: having watched it. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company.
1: That's pretty hardcore. Mike Tomlin's like, yeah. The ups and downs are watching it. I'm better off. That's a guy with some job security, huh? Didn't even have to watch the game that had his uh, playoff life on the line. Have to. What's the? Di- he can't change anything. Yeah. What's the difference? Set it and forget it. Don't you like to know, though? Don't you like to see how it unfolded?
2: Mm, I think Mike Tomlin's going to wake up Monday morning and either say, I have to get my team ready to play the Chiefs or – Let's see, what's the next available flight to Cancun?
1: Yeah, I do like Tomlin because he is a no-nonsense guy. I mean, like a real no-nonsense guy. And I could see Mike Tomlin attending the Kings-Lakers game and seeing what was going on. And just from a, a competition purity standpoint, just being driven over the edge, can you describe to the audience what was going on with Russell Westbrook and whoever was the the DJ or sound operator. We all know Russell Westbrook's
2: not making a lot of shots right now, right? Right. I mean, it's a tough stretch for Russ. He's never been a great jump shooter in the first place, but even the drives to the hole aren't going for Russ right now. He is in one hell of a shooting slump. And up at the Golden 1 Center in Sacramento, which is, of course one of the meccas of basketball one of the homes of true nba success they decided to troll russell westbrook by every time he missed a shot the in arena dj guy played
1: as cold as ice every time all right so that's that's I i think that's foreigner let's play the real version of the song the beginning of the song No.
0: You're as cold as ice.
1: All right. Just like Andy did it. So just take that clip, and every time Westbrook shoots,
3: every You're
1: time. Yep, yep. The, the person in the arena, every time the shot goes up and goes back rim, clang.
0: You're as cold as ice. Over and
1: over and over. And over again. You're as cold as ice. How about even worse on misses where he would get his own offensive rebound? The ball is still in play, Lakers on offense, and they're resetting and it's going again. You're as cold
0: as ice.
1: I don't care who wins the game. I'm not a Lakers fan, but I would have walked out of the arena. Like, again, I don't want to sound like old guy, but we don't need music and clapping every G damn minute of a basketball game. It was so
2: they, dumb. Did you see what they did at the end of the game? They then put up on the video board the ice cold player of the game oh, with man. Russell Westbrook's stat line and a picture of him. Yeah. as cold Super. as ice. Oh yeah.
1: Keep going, Candy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to re- we're trying to replicate the sound engineer just Missed. As annoying so it shot. would be on a radio show to just keep dropping it on us. When, and let me tell you a little something else. As cold as Wait, I, I, no, I, Ari, Ari, no, Ari. Ari, let me make my point. No, Ari. Now nice. I got it. For the love. Now we got it, yeah. So as annoying as that sounds on uh, live radio, it was brutal. Brutal inside the arena. All right, let's get back to a little college basketball, a little review of the national title game. Also look ahead to what's going to happen next year, find out what the hell is going on at UCLA with Chip Kelly, and the latest with Jim Harbaugh. Is he going to leave Michigan for the Raiders? Michael Felder, College Football Insider, right around the corner.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook
1: inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield & Company. It's a Thursday, let's get into a little college football. The championship is in. We can look ahead a little bit as well. Michael Felder, college football expert from Stadium and at In the Bleachers on Twitter. All right, give me your, your big narrative coming out of the national title game. Georgia beats Alabama. And you and I both, you know, kind of doubted Georgia throughout the season, but they got it done.
3: Yeah, they got it done. I, I think it's interesting. Kirby Smart won the way he wanted to win. And, and we've talked about this going into the game. We've talked about this plenty of times. If the game plays in the 20s, that's a plus for Georgia. And the game played in the 20s uh, minus, the, the obviously, the Keeley-Ringo uh, late uh, pick six. But game played in the 20s, that's where they wanted it. Missed opportunities for Alabama. Uh, Alabama, they should walk away thinking we should have won this football game. But we had drops. We had miscues. We didn't do what we're supposed to do. And uh, Georgia can walk away as a national champion knowing – hey, we can, we can do this. We can run on this stage. We do have to continue to get better on the offensive side of the ball because even though they did score technically, was it 33 minus 7, 33 minus 7 to 26, 26 points. 26 points isn't going to be enough to win a lot of national championships.
1: Did you think, I know you covered a lot of this on your Tape Don't Lie podcast, did you think that uh, Kirby outcoached Saban?
3: No, not at all. I think Saban had an answer for everything. Uh, there were some personal failings. Uh, guys who especially in, I don't want to, I don't, we don't have to get into the injuries. I, I really hate to when people try to litigate things through the, the scope of injuries, there were guys that could step up. Cameron Latu too could have caught a touchdown pass, but N'Kobe Dean stopped it. Uh, Jaleel Billingsley could have caught multiple passes, but he didn't. Jaleel Billingsley also could have blocked Nolan Smith on a second down run that would have given them an opportunity to continue a drive. And instead he just whiffs on him and, and, and they lose two yards. So there's a lot of mistakes outside of the injuries and I, I think injuries do suck and they suck and I hate when they happen but to me there is a lot of opportunity for Alabama they were put in position to win it's about execution they didn't execute and ultimately when you don't execute you lose the football game which is what we saw happen on Monday night
1: so no blame at the feet of Bill O'Brien for the game he called especially inside the 20.
3: Uh no, I thought he called a good game inside the 20. I thought the, the. I mean, we've we've got guys in the end zone with the ball in their hands, and the ball just ends up on the ground. So, I think that's still a good play. Yeah, we've got. I, I think that there are some questionable things. I think obviously th- those other guys get paid too, though. Is what they say right in the NFL? And in this case, those other guys are also just really good. And Channing Tindall erasing. I think the best two play sequence in the game was Nicobe Dean with the pass breakup on Cameron two which would have been a touchdown, which would have put Alabama up by two scores. And Dean doesn't celebrate the the pass breakup. He looks at Channing Tindall and goes, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. This is where you're supposed to be. And Tindall, there's no arguing. He knows he's wrong. He knows that his leader has has called him out on it. And the next play, Channing Tindall does what he's supposed to do. And instead of Alabama having a chance for Bryce Young to push wide to the right and roll out – and create a run-pass option for a touchdown, Channing Tunnel's able to get a sack, which forces a field goal. To me, that speaks a lot to best-laid plans not working out well because Georgia's working to adjust. I think Georgia did a really good job, and I've said this a couple times. They're one of the smartest defenses that I've ever seen. They adjust on the fly. They adjust one play to the next play. And by the way, Jordan Davis – We were worried about him being in the game and whether or not he was going to be a liability. And this guy really, he answered the bell. So hats off to him as well. Tim Tebow
1: said that Georgia is one of the best defenses of all time. Um, You know, they gave up a lot of yards in two games against Arkansas, or check that, against uh, Alabama. Is it one of the best defenses of all time?
3: It's really tough to tell, honestly. I think that, yes, statistically they are. Technically they are. But they also feel like a defense that wasn't as tested as they should have been. And legitimately over the course of the season when they had three tests, one was Tennessee and then two Alabama games. And so, yes, they are technically one of the best defenses of all time. Yes. They are technically statistically one of the best defenses of all time. I think even the individual pieces are some of the best of all time. I think that Lewis Sean was amazing. I think that Nickobe Dean was amazing. Jordan Davis, who we already mentioned, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, uh, you throw in Devontae Wyatt and, and Nolan Smith, who I thought had a major day and, they have all those pieces but i do wonder what this defense would have looked like if they had to play you know Oklahoma Texas Tech and Oklahoma State back to back or Oklahoma Texas Tech and 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 um, Baylor back to back right mm-hmm. i wonder about that because they had i'm not going to call it a cakewalk it's a physical game it's hard but they did have teams that played to their strength even the semifinal game Michigan I I would have, from a matchup standpoint, I would have loved to see Georgia play Ohio State because you know that they're not going to stop throwing the ball with Alave, Wilson, Smith and Jigba, uh, now Marvin Harrison, the second or junior. Like, they're going to keep going. And I think that's the part that gave them problems. That's the part that gave them problems in the first game against Alabama. But you know what? They don't get to pick the teams they they play. You play who's on your schedule. And absolutely they played a historical schedule they, they they excuse me they played a schedule that they the results are historical so they belong in, in the mix
1: tebow also mentioned hey georgia can do this for the next 10 years can challenge alabama clemson was supposed to be that team so what's more likely that georgia is right there with alabama or more like clemson where every once in a while they're a top five team
3: i think clemson to answer the, the last part the first part or to answer the last part first, I think Clemson's an interesting one because they just lost so many coaches. What does that look like now? So I want to see Clemson rebound and bounce back, but we're talking about a Clemson team that still had what, a 10-win season? And people saw that as a failure. So you're in you're in you're in good position when 10 wins, 10 and 3 is a fail. So and with Georgia, I do think they're going to continue to compete. They have a lot of the same systems and checks and balances that Alabama has. So I think we're looking at two parallel programs. I think what we're experiencing with Georgia, and this is the thing I talk about with my guy, Palm, that Georgia hasn't hit the push to be better yet. And by that, I mean maximizing all of your talent. They haven't hit the push that Nick Saban hit in 2014, 2015, where Nick Saban was like, oh, I'm going to have to score 40 (laughs) points to win. They haven't hit that part, and that's what I mentioned when I said Kirby Smart won it the way that he wanted to win it. They were able to win this game by scoring 26 points offensively. What happens when you're in an actual game where you got to score 41, which is what happened in the SEC championship game? But this paints this this is a fresh coat of paint all over the SEC championship doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't matter because we did win 33 to 18. So who cares about what happened in the SEC championship game? So I don't know that that changes, that alters his path or changes his approach. And I think it's there's this feeling of vindication from him of like, yeah, see, I can do it my way. Right. So we'll see what happens. I I do think that Georgia's going to have the talent. They're going to have the ability. They're going to have the players to do it. It's a matter of mentality. For Georgia, everything is uh, between Kirby Smart's – it's between his ears, right? It's the decisions that he makes. It's the choices that he makes. It's his – It's his willingness to to do more, and Nick Saban we know is already committed to that choice. We'll see if Kirby Smart is as well.
1: Alabama in 2022, uh, games at Texas, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss, no crossover against Georgia. Should I bet Bama to win the national title right now at plus 250?
3: I would. I mean, I think that they're about to go scorched earth. When Nick Saban, um, when he grabbed Will Anderson and Bryce Young and had them sit back down – and said thank you to them everybody's looking at it as him thanking those two players but what that is that's a message to his football team these are the two guys that you need to focus in on cuz i'm going to be hard on them next year this is not kid this is no kid glove stuff i'm not playing around with you guys you got to be better than you were this year next year for us to win and i think it was a note where he said these two players played exceptionally well which means I've got issues with a bunch of the rest of you guys in that locker room. And the big thing with Saban is he says everything out in front. It's just you have to pick apart what it means. So when he says these two guys and points at them, Mm -hmm. he's pleased with the way that they played. He's pleased with the way that they conducted themselves, which means down that roster, there are a bunch of guys that he's not thrilled with. There's a bunch of guys he's not impressed by and a bunch of guys he does not particularly care for. And obviously we saw Billingsley hit the transfer portal immediately after the game. That's one of those guys who he's probably like, "Go, fine, go. Great. Okay. But I think next year we do see a little bit of a scorched earth where we see them. I think he does get back to being a little more ornery, a little angry. He tried his best to treat this team, a young team, an inexperienced team. They're not all young, but they are. Inex- there was a lot of inexperienced guys. He tried his best to treat them in a manner that would give them confidence in themselves and to put them in position to succeed and have them fail. He now is like, I did everything I could. Now it's on you. On
1: the Georgia side, this is going to sound crazy because the guy just won a national title. Does Stetson Bennett come back? Do they want him back? If he comes back, if you're JT Daniels or Brock Vandegraaff, are you like, screw it, I'm out of here?
3: I think we're going to see a real competition in the spring. And we'll see what that looks like. And I think Kirby Smart feels the most comfortable with Stetson Bennett, right? Like, he's very comfortable with Stetson Bennett at that quarterback spot because he knows what he's going to get. He also knows he's not going to get a guy, whether it's JT or Vandergriff or, or any of these other guys, Hudson, was it Hudson Card. He knows he's not going to have – A guy who's like, I can do it with my arm. I'll just throw it. Who cares? And that's terrifying to him. But you think about Kirby Smart. Where does Kirby Smart come from? Kirby Smart comes from God. What was his? his, Was it AJ McCarron and Greg McElroy and Jacob Coker? Like he's like. That's what I like. (laughs) I know they're not going to stress out my defense. I like these guys. So we'll see what happens.
1: What do you think of the MegaCast? I saw you talking about uh, educating college football fans. What do you think about the uh, MegaCast?
3: I watched this, so I watched the Sky Cam and I watched the game feed. I did not watch the coaches feed until I went back and watched some of it uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday after the game. It's I think it's a great start. I think one of the most I think one of the best steps that could be taken, and look, if I'm not a producer, I understand. But if I was a producer, one thing that I would do is skip some plays to allow people to explain what's going on. I saw people complaining about the coaches calling out the play before it happened and all these things. You have to have somebody in there that's going to call a timeout and say why that's going to happen. So, you like, if Jimbo Fisher's like, oh, Jimbo, I can't do his accent the right way, but he's like, when Jimbo Fisher gets in that fast talk, when he's like, oh, yeah, you got trips over here, trip bunch, trip bunch, and we go to trip bunch, you get a trip bunch, they're going to run this (laughs) over here. But you have to have someone call, tell him to take a break, pause it, come up to the board, show me why you think this is about to happen, then run the play, see what happens, and then talk about it, and you can't do that in real time. It's too hard, and I was talking to a couple other uh, former football players. The difference in the way that football players and coaches watch football is versus fans is huge, and it's not just do you follow the ball, do you watch your position, but it's also we're used to watching football on a frame-advance speed. So in a 10-play practice, like if you do a a 15-play period in practice, you're going to watch those 15 plays. You're going to watch them if you're in the secondary – you're going to watch those plays, at, at four guys in the secondary, four guys in the secondary, 15 plays, four times 15 is what, 60? Now you're going to watch it from two. In- so you're, watching, you're going to watch those plays 120 times on frame advance, and that's one practice session. You're going to watch all those plays that often because you have to watch every single player individually, and then you have to watch every single player from the side and from the rear, and you have to watch each one of their steps, and that's a big part of it. And so it's hard to do that in real time. It's really difficult. And I think that's the part where if someone – and maybe it's a next-day experience where the next day you have people talk about it, but I think that could go a long way to helping folks learn a little bit more about these games.
1: Yeah, I found myself getting caught up in the Stetson Bennett sucks stuff in the first half on social media and then you know I think back to just covering football locally with UNLV and talking to uh the color analyst here former quarterback Caleb Herring who breaks the game down from a quarterback standpoint and also the defense and you're like we, we, the average fan the average media person has no idea what Stetson Bennett was seeing
3: yeah no exactly idea. no no clue and Stetson Bennett was fine I thought he was fine he is he won a national championship throwing the ball seven uh, completing 17 passes for 200 and under 250 yards that is a modern feat and that speaks to (laughs) the run game and also speaks to their defense so he got it done it's awesome it it, it worked and i guess ultimately if you're a georgia fan you've got to be like excited that you ended a 41 year drought but you also have to be thinking oh does kirby think this is going to work all the time
1: interesting michael felder College football expert at Stadium joining us here at Silver Sevens. Last couple things. uh, Let's talk about some uh, coaching stories. One, it does look finally like Chip Kelly's getting close to extending uh, his deal Goes to zero buyout on Saturday. A lot of people were speculating like, hey, maybe they're just going to tell him to walk, but it does look like uh, he's going to sign a deal. Uh, And a lot of it, I think, has been the indicator of the last couple weeks with the transfer portal because they've got a bunch of players coming in and coming back. Like, why would they come back or go to UCLA if Chip is gone?
3: Yeah, I think that it's been really weird, right? It, it, I mean, obviously, super weird with the whole Dylan Gabriel situation. I think is the most high prof- high profile one, but overall, just having got like DTR then decides he's coming back, and so there was just been a lot of weird stuff happening. But I think at the end of the day, I think Chip's moving the program in the right direction. It's just not happening as quickly as we thought it would, or we all hoped it would. Right. So. We'll see if that's enough motivation and momentum. I mean, at some point, he's got to get out there in these streets and start recruiting in a big way. And I think that's something. The scary part, at least on my end, is what if Lincoln Riley um, just starts going to town? Now you've got to, like, I I really do believe that Lincoln Riley to USC is a good thing for UCLA as well, because you either, you got to, you know, you got to crap or get off the pot. Yep. You know, because Lincoln Riley, he's going to go pedal to the metal. They just got Caleb Williams. So it's going to be what Caleb Williams versus DTR. And this is going to be interesting. I just really think that listen, if you're it's it's the same as it's it's very. I don't think nationally people would think about it the same way, but it's very similar to Alabama and Auburn, right? And Auburn is frustrated because you look across the state. And you've got this team that just keeps bringing the Warhammer to you. And you, if you see – if U.S. – if what either – one, it doesn't matter which way it works. If either one of these programs gets up, the other one's going to be like, why can't we have that? Right. And that's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes itself out. Uh, but I really do. I think that at some point Chip's got to – he's got to recruit more. Harder, strong. Like he's. you have to it's cool to be like, yeah, well, look at us. We're in Westwood, and we've got this, and check out our volleyball courts. But, like, you got to put on the full-court press at some point. Yep. All right,
1: along the same lines, do you think that's what Harbaugh is thinking right now? Like, hey, I made it, but, my God, I I can't do this against Ohio State every year. Is that why he's looking at the NFL?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of recognize it's, – it's very similar to Brian Kelly, I think, where he's like, we're close, but I don't know if we're going to get all the way over. I got a chance to talk to Jake Butt on Saturday, former Michigan uh, tight end. And he was like, we're recruiting the same guys. We just got to get more of those guys and more of those guys have to have an opportunity to play. And I think that the other thing with Harbaugh for me is I don't think he likes risk. I don't think he like Andrew Anthony against Michigan State had 160 something receiving yards. And then he had caught one ball in the, the next five games. And they were just like, we're just he because it's risky to throw a freshman the football down the field. But the reality should be, yeah, just keep giving him the football. He's really good, which is a parallel to Kirby Smart, who didn't list George Pickens as a starter until like the last game of the season his freshman year, which was insane. So I think the big key for me is just I I think the NFL does feel less risky because it's also you don't have to like there's no freshman in the NFL, right? You have rookies, but depending on where they come in, they're either ready to play. Or should be ready to play. Yeah. Or you don't have to worry about you don't have to care about them at all. So I think it's also you know obviously everybody loves to get paid so we're flirting a little bit for money. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see who calls him, especially now as the regular season has wind is winding down and we're seeing coaches be fired. <laughs> I'm in Chicago, so yep. they are, folks are. I don't like to see people celebrate someone getting fired, but Bears fans are relieved. I will say it that way. Well, so we'll see what happens.
1: And again, with Harbaugh, you know, it's nice if you can pick where you want to go. Yes. That tricky quarterback thing that you have to deal with seemingly every year in college football and the transfer portal, if you get a guy who's going to be around for seven years, that alleviates a lot of the pressure and yep. a lot of that risk. Let's close on the most important thing in this conversation. Michael Felder's with us. Were you able to wrangle a brand new, well, maybe not a new, uh, but a garage fridge it, it's it's, it's it, this these are perilous times when the garage fridge goes out.
3: Oh, yeah, garage fridge went out I believe Saturday morning, but it was like seven degrees here. so we we're okay.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: we we're okay. but I found I went to Lowe's the cheapest fridge they had. How much do you think the cheapest fridge they had at Lowe's was?
1: Uh, f- four hundred
3: seven hundred dollars. Oh boy. So I had to go to Mike's discount furniture. <laughs> scratch and dent used fridge yeah why not 300, 325 bucks got it they got they delivered the fridge at 6:40 in the morning wow i was like what is happening this is crazy but i'll take it cuz i need this fridge what are I got you gonna stuff do stuff in that freezer yeah
1: i mean what are you gonna do you have to you have to have it i've got a i've i'm not even a cook anywhere near the level you are and i've got a a pretty decent sized deep freezer and a garage fridge
3: Oh, don't worry. I was, I was, trust me. I was looking at the chest freezers they had in there. And I was like, if I, if I bring one of these home, my wife will kill me. (laughs)
1: You got to break it up. You got to break up the purchases. Uh, food of the week that I saw, uh, with a picture in recent days was, uh, how many different kinds of freaking wings are you making in, in one session? And then I also saw that you double fried them. How do you not destroy them when you double fry them? How do they still stay juicy and tasty?
3: So the, the, the first fry is kind of like a poach, right? You poach them in the oil and, uh, it's like you put them in at 320, 325, but that grease drops down to about two, between 285 and 290. So you get a nice poach. They cook through, basically, but they don't crisp up. I put them in the freezer, take them out of the freezer. Then I throw them into the fryer at 375. Then they get hot. They get crispy. And then I did I did four different wings. I did So I did one regular traditional buffalo sauce. I did one. That was a garlic parm. My wife asked for garlic parm. She gets what my baby wants. My baby gets. We got garlic parm. <laughs> we did, then we did salt and pepper. Really easy. You don't have to even sauce those. It's just salt and pepper with a little bit of vinegar on them. And then I did a hotter than hot. I used Texas Pete hotter hot sauce and a little bit of jalapeno and some red pepper flake. And Boy. just a very spicy, spicy wing that was just for me. Easy to make. All, you just toss them. You throw them in. You're done. It's easy.
1: It's impressive sounding, though.
3: They, yeah, they look good. They were they tasted really great. They came out great. It, it really was, after smoking wings for the entire year, it was nice to come back and just have like a classic bar style fried wing.
1: Check out all the podcasts that Michael Felder does. Now he's got a little more time to do more cooking and post more pictures, more food oh, porn. Yeah. So we're we're into that. Michael, appreciate it. Talk to you. Sounds
3: good. Take it easy, Cofield.
1: There he is, Michael Felder. Follow him on Twitter, at InTheBleachers. That'll do it. Wrap on this Cofield and Company live at Silver 7s. Thanks to Ari for putting together the great guest lineup. Awesome job by my company today, Adam Candy. We're back tomorrow, 3 o'clock. We'll be live from the Thomas & Mac getting ready for a UNLV Running Rebel men's basketball game against Fresno State.